touchdown, running in the first place for number one. Harris drops back, fades to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Caught the five, he went through Marcus Dale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it. Touchdown, Tigertown. Brandon Banks, how did he do it? It is The Breakdown. Welcome to the show, everybody, at CF Perspective, as always, is where you can find everything that we are doing on Twitter and Instagram. I am at TSN underscore Marsh. He is at DT on SC, looking very dapper today. I thought you were going to go hood up during the podcast, Derek. Maybe just go like Darth Vader on us and uh, and all of a sudden pull out the lightsaber and start wielding it around and slicing apart rosters as we talk about cutdowns this week. Oh, we cutting. We're down to 75 <laughs> plus non-counters. We cutting. You're cut too, shushy. Uh, yeah, there's all sorts of people that are uh, have been kicked in and out of different spots around the league. We will get to that coming up for you in just a second. But first, of course, I do want to thank all of our supporters and all of our sponsors. Don't forget about Fox 40, the latest innovations that you need to get back onto the field. Their Fox 40 tri-layer whistle mask helping you return to play safely. Use the promo code CFP15 and gets you 15% off Fox 40 products at fox40shop.com. And of course, Sada City Brewing, our good friends. I haven't received my my July shipment yet? Oh, oh! I need I need the fresh stuff. I need the uh, the summer uh, beers. There, I'm sure it's in the mail. It'll be here very soon. I'm I'm late on it just because. Oh, fragile! Ah, yes, that looks like a Sada City Campar logo. Is it this one? <laughs> uh, they yeah. might have sent you did the goods. Did your shipment make it to my house? It might have. Yeah. It might have. Uh, very excited that, about that. Yeah, they are. Uh, they're good dudes out there. Sam and Jake and everybody at Sada City. I mean, you can use the promo code CFL because they are helping get you ready for the CFL season. SadaCityBeer.com. That gets you free shipping on your first order over hundred bucks. Available to Ontario residents only, unless your name is at DT on SC on Twitter, and you must be of legal drinking age. Uh, all right. This week, we are bouncing around and talking about a host of different uh, topics because there's so much stuff going on in the league, which is fantastic. I did want to start, though, on uh, a bit of a, an unfortunate note, which is Leroy Blue, the BC Lions uh, defensive line coach who announced, the team announced, Rick Campbell came out and said he's not going to be with us this year. He's doing with some personal stuff, some health stuff. Again, that's all we need to know. We don't have to go into any further about what's going on and then question about exactly where the, the future of Leroy Blue and the BC Lions defensive line is. Rick Campbell said, we thank Leroy for everything that he's done with us and we want the very best for him. So he's not going to be with the team, unfortunately. The only reason that I bring this up, because there's coaches like AJ Gass stepped away from Edmonton recently and he ends up with the University of Alberta Golden Bears. And uh, there's, mm. there's a lot of movement and transition that's happening right now. Uh, but I bring up Leroy Blue because I love Leroy Blue. I, I just think he is, he's one of those people that just screams CFL to me. He was actually uh, from my parents' hometown of Napanee, Ontario, and which if you don't know, is basically, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes away from Kingston, which is where I grew up. And it's, uh, so it's in that kind of part of Eastern Ontario that you pass by and you probably only know it as the Flying J as the gas station that's on the, the side of the 401 there as you're driving from either Toronto to Ottawa or vice versa. So um, it, he is, he's from there, just a big bodied man, physical as all hell when you watch him play back in the day, but he was the head coach at Bishops in, uh, in 2005 to 2010, I believe is when he was there as the head man. And 
Leroy Blue came into my high school and I got to tell you, DT, like I love everybody that I was fortunate to be around for four or five years at McMaster. I, there was a lot of people who were very talented at recruiters. Chris Pertoya, who at the time was with the Western Mustangs. Now he's the head coach of the Waterloo Warriors. Uh, I go on and on. I was, I was very fortunate to get a chance to talk to a lot of those because I played on a really good high school football team. But Leroy Blue just straight up walked through the doors of my high school, came in, sat down, and gave us a presentation. And I fell in love with Bishops. And it wasn't because I knew a damn thing about Bishops or the football team, or the school, or the language different, or any of that. It was just, ah, I want to play for that guy. I feel like I could actually play for that person. So uh, I really do appreciate everything that he brings to Canadian football. And we're just, I wanted to pass that along off the top here that we're wishing the very best for him. Uh, that BC coaching staff is really, really talented. So they'll be able to make up without him. But it's, it's still a quality person in the locker room that obviously Rick Campbell would love to have. Yeah, and and what I I didn't read the whole story, but that now puts Claudel Lewis in a bigger, yep, perhaps more responsibility or a bigger role. And Claudel is brand new to coaching, so uh, fantastic opportunity for him. I, I guess BC should be lauded for what they've done with their coaches. Honestly, Rick Campbell brought, specifically brought in two young coaches and and benefit in this in situation where Leroy Blues whatever they are troubles kicked in. And uh, they have at least some cover in that respect. Yeah, no doubt. I'm actually super pumped to see Maximic, Jordan Maximic, go to work as the the OC yeah. working out there in BC. I think that's going to be super fun after what he was able to accomplish in Edmonton previously. And obviously, Campbell has seen something uh, in him in that spot. But yeah, I mean, this the coaching staffs are are being put in a similar position. I would say to some of the teams right now, whether it's retirements or guys that don't report to camp or injuries, all the rest that it's next man up, right? Regardless of whether you're a coach or a player, you have to figure out how do we move forward? And right now for BC, that's obviously what they're going to be doing. I am interested in Claudel Lewis looking at that offensive line that got just destroyed in 2019 and saying to himself going into 21, these aren't the same guys that I remember. Uh, and this might be a more difficult in-practice coaching job to go up against this group because I know from talking to you on the sports cage today, you're very high on the BC lines. You like the way that they look. And it's fair because at the start of the year, we said Winnipeg, Edmonton, and maybe Hamilton would be right there. And man, there's been some losses at a variety of those, those teams. Yeah. And it is terrifying to say, but I mean, just by getting Riker Matthews and then getting healthy BC's offensive line, Figueroa, Hunter Stewart, Godbert, Chung, and Matthews, that's immediately, it's easily the top half of the CFL, if not the top three in the Canadian Football League. Winnipeg will be good. Montreal, maybe not as good as BC, but Montreal looks like a good crew. Saskatchewan is now dealing with an unexpected retirement and potentially a, a big-time injury among its tackles. And Ottawa, who knows what they're going to be. But BC now, I mean, they did they did add one body, but more less so from their own doing and more so from what's happened to the rest of the league now looks like their offensive line would actually rank pretty high yeah and the other thing that i think is really interesting about bc and matt baker's doing a great job writing on, on the bc lions website and kind of giving camp reports as is mike hogan so many other people across the league covering the team internally or externally but the thing that i found interesting is when i brought up lucky whitehead as being one of my main interesting scores of free agency, you're like, I don't really see it. And I don't blame you because I'm with you. The numbers that you and I look at don't really bear yeah. out that Lucky Whitehead deserves to be thought of in that way. 
and training camps, trust me. Yeah. I know this training camps don't mean a damn thing. Like when you see guy scores long touchdown in training camp, it's like, that's, that's not always indicative, but sometimes you start to see some trends and Matt Baker, every time that I read one of his articles on the BC Lions website, Lucky Whitehead is scoring a touchdown in scrimmages, in 12 on 12, in 7 on 7. He keeps just putting, yeah, Lucky sco- Lucky ran away from another guy. Lucky ran down the sideline. Lucky ran a post. Lucky ran a corner. And I yeah. keep thinking to myself, could he actually turn into to something? Like, could he actually be? Because I know that we're talking about Lamar Durant being up there as a great Canadian. And obviously, Brian Burnham's going to go crazy. But you're always looking for that, that third. And Shaq Johnson, we, we all assume, is going to be part of that equation as well. And uh, But I'm just, the role of the Deron Carter play the number two, is it going to be Dominique Rimes or could it be Lucky Whitehead sprinkling in as a, a, weird, a weird dynamic piece? I don't know the answer to that. I just, it's something that's jumped out to me in my preseason reading and research that I just keep laughing every time I read Lucky did another thing at practice because I'm going, I mean, it might mean nothing. But it might mean something like you might see him week one against Saskatchewan and go, wow, okay, this looks like a different player than in Winnipeg where they used him as a gadget guy and a returner. Yeah, I I remember when Winnipeg came to Saskatchewan in 2019 preseason and Lucky torched them and took off. And it was like it, it was like he he just moved at a different speed from anybody else. Like his touchdown was fantastic. And you went, oh boy, former yeah. NFLer comes and rips a hole in the CFL. And then it in no way materializes, right? He ends up about 10 yards a catch and two touchdowns. And elusive, fine as far as making tacklers miss. But I was just looking at some numbers. Like you should be a Kyron Moore type of player, but yes. Kyron makes guys miss significantly more. Uh, Natea Jay is a guy who made guys miss at a higher rate then lucky whitehead like if you're gonna so i i wonder because that that boundary side of bc it's to me it's got to be burnham and rhymes slot back and wide receiver and then they want to go three canadians katoy durant and shaq johnson so where does lucky come in does is it one of those form where katoy is out or katoy is h back durant slides down and lucky becomes the number two like kyron is in, in saskatchewan yeah and you throw him you know hit screens there or have him drag. I mean, I, I just don't know what you do with Lucky. And I don't know what BC does with him when, to me, Burnham and Rhymes should just never leave the field yeah. in my mind. So what do you do when your other three guys, uh, as at best I believe, the other three guys are going to be Canadian. How do you, six-man ones where you take Shaq Cooper off the field? How, how will they get Lucky involved in something I really want to see. Yeah, I could see them using him as like the versatile kind of secondary back, but also Chris Rainey has always played that role, right? Where he's the scat guy that's out of the backfield yep. and he's the dangerous. So they've, I mean, I would love to see a dual backfield where they could go Rainey and Whitehead side by side and go with a four receiver package. And now you're, you're messing with linebackers and forcing them to run with speed out to the flats. And I mean, you could even run basic stuff like curl flat combos and you can make people really get stretched horizontally with the speed that they have coming out of the backfield there. But um, yeah, I think the most realistic way that they would use him would be the sixth man and, and still bring him in. But the thing I find interesting about BC is if they are going to go with those three receivers to the field in Katoy, Durant and Johnson, do they have to? Because they're also planning on going Suk Chong. They've also got great depth at linebacker. We assume it's going to be obviously two Canadian starters at, at will in the combo and middle linebacker. In uh, Jordan Williams, who by yeah. all accounts looks like he's fantastic too. So, I mean, I've already got you up to six 
in terms of Canadian starters. And I haven't talked about defensive line at all. I've barely touched on the offensive line. Like Hunter Stewart would be your seventh. So, I mean, there's your seven and then you're toying around with a bunch of others. So I could see them being in a spot where they actually use Lucky as a designated starter backed up by a Canadian because they have such great depth and then they could play equal reps or even he could play less reps as a receiver, but they just wouldn't declare it as a starter because they have that kind of flexibility. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious what they might do in the return game as well. Lucky mm-hmm. could probably do some things in there, but yeah, they are not hurting for Canadians. Like you could legit, you wanted to put together and you, you can't because of how you've drafted and the free agents you've gotten, but you could put together essentially a, a one Canadian defense if you really tried. Like your defensive safe, safety is Canadian, but then you you then waste the pick of Jordan Williams and why did you bring in Bola Combo if you're not going to use him? Yeah. So, or why is Ben Hladek in your draft list if you didn't? So yeah, that's that's a real good point because I mean this depth chart that I have right here has nine Canadian starters and you're not you're you're probably not doing that. So yeah, it's. That's some really nice flexibility yeah. that they'll have, but it, I don't want to take Durant off the field. I don't, I've never taken Burnham. Like again, Brian Burnham, you can have him when you pry him out of my cold <laughs> dead hand. Uh, Dominic Rhymes is the ball threat. You want to run, you want to throw something down the rail. You do it to Dominic Rhymes. Uh, I re- I've always liked Shaq Johnson. I, I do not agree with his social media that he's the best Canadian receiver in the CFL because I don't think he's the best Canadian receiver on his own team, but I do like him. I like him a lot. And Katoy <laughs> is such a monster. Like, that's yeah. such a big dude. You you were telling the story of how big Katoy is. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, when so, you see him yeah, field size. There's you, certainly a place for Lucky. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I just, there's some of those guys that you see field side that you just, you realize very quickly why they are special, right? They're unique. And Katoy is certainly one of those. But uh, aside from doing an entire BC Lions breakdown podcast here, I did want to bounce around to some of our other favorite headlines. Uh, the other one that has jumped out to me that I find to be interesting is that every time I read anything about the Ottawa Red Blacks right now, whether it's from Tim Baines or coming from the Red Blacks website, it's just how much, <laughs> how much the defense is noisy how much the defense gets after it and how much trash talk there is at practice. And, and again, I don't know if this is one of those things where it's like a smoke screen because there's not really much else to talk about, but they've got some nice pieces there. We all know Avery Williams and yes, Antoine Pernod is still in there and they're finding some work. I'm sure from Adam O'Claire and the defensive backfields depleted from what it's been in the past. But every time that I see it, I just see noisy, noisy, noisy. And I keep thinking, man, I don't know how noisy they're going to be if they play Edmonton week one and Ellingson and Darrell Walker and Trevor Harris go crazy on, right? And that's that's what jumps out to me is usually as, as somebody who's been around football long enough and understands the dynamic of locker rooms and the moods of different teams, when I hear this group is noisy and loves to trash talk, I never think of that as being sustainable. Now, sometimes you can be wrong. There can be Swaggerville, like in Winnipeg back in 2011, right? Where that's a group that just never shut up because Odo Wills wasn't going to be quiet. And they fed off of that the entire year and they had success with it. But a lot of the time when that's the thing that's leading the conversation and it's not, oh my God, what are you going to do to run the ball against Willie Jefferson, Jackson, Jeff Coat, and Adam Big Hill? Those are the things that make defenses. The talk, I'm, I'm just, I love Mike Benavides as much as you do. I'm just really interested to see what that group actually looks like because man, does Edmonton ever give them a crazy challenge in week one? Yeah. The didn't Swaggerville start the season like eight and one? Yeah, like they you gotta you gotta have talent. You can have all the talk and you can have all the swagger. 
you got to have the talent or you're going to get turfed by 35 by Edmonton in week one. And then who's talking then? Um, honestly, I was going through it because I've just been considering uh, over under win totals for every team so far. Uh, Ottawa's is set at three and a half. So I, I go through their schedule and they honestly, they're Edmonton. They get mashed at Edmonton in week one. In my mind, they have a buy. They come to Saskatchewan. Oof. I've called it guaranteed win night for the riders <laughs> foot and mouth. We'll see. We'll see what August 21st brings, but then, then home to BC home to Montreal at BC. If they don't, if they are not two and three, it's, it's the longest season ever because their schedule gets brutal after that, including they have one of those weeks where they play twice and oh, that, yeah. is not, that is not a recipe for success. They get, they're at Toronto and home to Montreal. And I would think Ottawa at home to Montreal, okay, winnable. When it's the second game in like five days, no, that's, that's got to be brutal to try I, to play that. This I, is so I exciting. Can't, I can't that- even picture that. This is so exciting, though, DT, that a month from today is guaranteed win night for the Riders. Uh, we it, it might be foot and mouth night, but it's definitely guaranteed win night for the Riders. Um, we're a month away from that. That means by that point, we'll be three weeks in. So uh, in 2019, uh, I was projecting the season, and I was on the radio with Luke Mullender, and he's like, nobody's saying Ottawa is going to be terrible. And I said to him live on the air, so we recorded it, and I said, Really? Dead ass last. Ottawa will be in last place. Fast forward to week two. They beat Calgary throwing four interceptions. They still beat Calgary and they hammered the riders to go two and oh. And you can imagine me slinking out of Lansdowne with the 0 and 2 riders and the 2 and 0 Red Blacks, who I said would be the worst team in the CFL. Like, do I not know anything about football? Am Am I blind? (laughs) <laughs> Am I oblivious to everything happening here? And then they justified it by going one and 15 down the stretch. Yes. But those moments, right? It's you, we, we say things and then, but we don't really know how it's going to happen, but you got to just go with what you believe. And I believe Ottawa will be rough. Uh, that, that is uh, under wa- three and a half, by the way, under. There you go. Take the under. That's why I love football though, is as much as I love to analyze it. And I do love to be right about these things. I think there's no shame in that because when you put the work in and you get something right, you're like, yeah, I I trust what I saw. I put the work in, but I also kind of love being wrong sometimes because I went into that Ottawa Saskatchewan game saying, Oh my God, this is the worst quarterback matchup that we're going to see the entire year Fajardo and Davis are just (laughs) atrocious. I said that all week on Hamilton radio. I'm like, yikes, this is going to be, at least they have the Thursday night concert series because this is going to be a bad offensive game. And then apparently they both took a bunch of Michael's secret stuff from the original Space Jam and they were dropping dimes left, right and center. And it was unbelievable. But to hear you slinking out of TE place in Ottawa reminds me of the 2018 Eastern final when we went in there with June Jones and I was calling games for the Ticats and Jeremiah Masoli was all fired up and they went in and pregame I went on TSN 1200 in Ottawa. And I said to their pregame show like, hey, good Masoli, bad Masoli, whatever you want to say, if that guy comes to play, They've got a chance no matter what. Well, sure enough, he goes out and throws three of the the worst, all three of them, the worst interceptions he would have had the entire year. And in the post-game show, we like we wrap up and I take my headset off. And as I'm doing so, I'm like, well, that's a crazy season. Thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll talk to you next year. Bye. Go to take my headset off. And as I rip it off, I look in the booth next to me. Lever Sage from TSN 1200 Ottawa is banging on the glass and laughing and just pointing at me and just, ah, you're an idiot. 
you are an you don't know what you're talking Masoli, good Masoli, are you out of your mind and just i was like okay i wasn't campaigning for the guy i was just making the case on radio <laughs> that if yeah. he was going to give them a chance that he would have to make some pretty great throws which he very clearly did not that day but again we've seen he's capable of a lot of other games that he's played very well in so yeah, it's uh, I, I feel no having looked at the schedule, having looked how it's going to play out, having seen four games that are winnable for the Ottawa Red Blacks, I have no qualms about recommending to folks that they wager the under three and a half. Just <laughs> 2022 can be better, right? Yeah. The, there was the expansion year. They were atrocious. The next year, they're Grey Cup contenders. So next year can be so much better because this year ain't going to be much. Mark the tape. On this day, 11 minutes in, <laughs> I don't know what time is. Uh, all right, so uh, we are going to get into our uh, our most surprising, most interesting cuts thus far, but I wanted to kick this off with my least surprising cut. Least surprising, okay? And you might say, oh, wow, is Marshall about to slander somebody because you just you think that they're trash and they don't deserve to be in the league? No, no, this is the complete opposite. Yeah. Tyler Crepinia Tyler gets let go by the Montreal Alouettes. Now, I played university football with TC. Uh, I lived with him in second year. Great, great dude. Know his family, all the rest. He gets drafted by Calgary. Well, they've got Rob Maver and Rennie Paradis. You ain't getting on the field there. So he was drafted as property. Uh, Then he gets flipped over to Saskatchewan. He ends up playing there for three years. Then he ends up getting moved on to Toronto. Then he ends up getting traded for Boris Beattie in the offseason, I believe, where he goes to Montreal. And then Montreal brings in Matt Mengel. They bring in an Aussie, I believe. Uh, They bring in uh, Felix Menard-Briere. And this is why I say it's the least surprising cut that has happened in the first round of cuts here that are happening in the CFL. Did you ever for a second, Derek, based on everything we have seen from Danny Machocha, think that he was going to keep the kicker who his Montreal Carabins blocked the field goal of Tyler Grappina at the end of the 2014 Vanier Cup? Was he ever going to keep him over Felix Menard-Briere, his kicker, who he recruited from Montreal as he's recruiting endless amounts of Montreal Carabins and French Canadians? So when I saw Tyler in this camp, I'm like, I don't know how the hell he makes this roster. None of this makes sense. He is up against so many different aspects, more than just kicking in this spot. And as soon yeah. as he got let go, I'm going, okay, well, like who needs a kicker in this spot? Well, Winnipeg doesn't need a kicker, but Mark Leggio is OUA all-star and all these records and point production and all the rest for the Western Mustangs and highly touted. And he's the only guy in camp. And I read... I believe from Ed Tate earlier on uh, in training camp, who again does a great job writing for the Blue Bombers website. And Ed uh, wrote that they didn't feel the need to bring in competition for Legio because they just wanted him to be himself and to just earn the job. Well, screw that because in comes Tyler Carpina, who uh, if Mark Legio was, you know, the most recent guy who was the OUA all-star and could nail every kick and all the rest, Tyler Carpina was exactly that same person five years ago. So to me, this is O'Shea and the Bombers deciding alongside everybody else in the organization at the higher ups, whether it be all the way up to Wade Miller, who knows a hell of a lot about special teams or, you know, everybody else there. The idea of let's bring in these two that have set all these records, made all these kicks and have all this talent. 
and let's pit them against each other. And maybe it's best man wins at this point, or maybe it's, we keep one, we PR another, we, we tell a guy to stay close in case something happens. We want to swap out because Legio doesn't end up making it the way that we think that he can. And we have a reliable backup or vice versa. It's just, it was, it was my most predictable cut, but it was also one where as soon as he got cut, I'm like, he ain't going to be cut for long. Like there's going to be somebody and then Winnipeg signs him. And I went, okay, I think I can understand from the outside looking in what the dynamic is here. Yeah, Legio is an interesting one. Uh, I, we talked a lot about Justin Medlock and greatest kicker or CFL history, la la la. Legio, I, I kind of was bored one day, so I took every U Sports kicker and I plopped them into my expected points formula for the CFL. Nice. And Legio was the only one who came up positive, which is when you're a U Sports kicker by CFL standards, to come up positive is a is a fantastic number. Like he would appear to have all the potential to be a great kicker. Uh, But it's almost like what coaches say to the media doesn't actually reflect the truth whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's so fun. It's so funny to see that we love this guy. He's cut. Okay. Oops. I thought you loved him a week ago, or we don't need competition. Ah, you know what competition was offered unto us. So let's get some competition in here. It's it's almost like they, uh, they fib it to us, but yeah, Winnipeg, man, and after Darvin Adams' potentially bad injury on Tuesday, mm-hmm. Winnipeg cannot afford to get the small things wrong, right? They lose Bryant Mitchell uh, to retirement. He never played for him, but he was going to be huge. If Darvin Adams' injury is bad... Mercy Maston as well, obviously, for sure. like forcing the Alden Darby trade, right? That's right. Oh, Mercy Maston with the seventh Achilles in the preseason. My goodness. Yeah, the margins. Uh, so I, I love the thought that they brought another kicker uh, just because, man, they're they're losing. I thought they had some runway, but they're they don't have a lot of runway now. Yeah, it certainly changed a lot for them. And uh, my other favorite thing that when you say like, hmm, I don't know if coaches always tell us the truth. My favorite quote of the entire week that's come out of press conferences. And I wish that I had the time and the wherewithal to be able to go through and clip all of my favorite clips from, from training camp, because my favorite thing is every single player from every single team right now saying they have the best unit. They have the best group. Something special is happening here. Chemistry is unbelievable. Cause a lot of that goes out the window by week two when you're own two. Uh, but, yeah. but when I, yeah. I saw the headline of Mike O'Shea, when asked about the new NFL style injury reporting, Mike O'Shea said, I'm not quite ready or something like this to, to give you my opinion, or I, I haven't quite formulated my thoughts on this topic. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you have, Mike. Uh, I'm just pretty sure that you don't feel like talking about it because you probably don't like it based on everything that we know about how Winnipeg likes to keep a lot of things in-house, certainly. So um, anyways, that that was my most expected release thus far. But what are a couple for you, DT, to wrap up the pod here on uh, on the second week of training camp that jumped out to you that you thought were of interest for people as we go from essentially 100 down to 75 plus non-counters, which is essentially just your draft picks from the last two years? Yeah, I got openly mocked on the radio for expressing surprise about this. My my radio partner, Luke Mullender, openly mocked me because 425, middle of the show, Luke's talking about some football stuff and the transactions come in of the, the releases the riders made. And they went, oh my gosh, live on the radio just for dramatic effect. <laughs> and Luke's like, well, he thought it was something serious. Yeah. And it was that they'd released uh, middle linebacker Oluwaseon Adowu and receiver Kermit Whitfield, for folks who may not know. Uh, Idowu played a couple of, started a couple of games, 
in 19 when Solomon Elamimian was coming back from that, whatever it was, broken thumb. And Kermit Whitfield was with the second team in training camp this year alone and was doing some stuff in the return game. It, it, neither one is, is going to rumble the league at all, but I just did not expect those to be two names that go as the Riders trim their roster to 88. Like they're, yeah. they have, I think, 13 non-counters. So 88, I was like, Idowu, one, he's a great interview. So obviously I love him in radio. In radio, that's, he's outstanding. Uh, two, he played for the team in 19. How's he getting cut in the first round of cuts? What is, what is happening here? Uh, ultimately, no one will be too bothered by that. Um, I, there were not a ton of, of names that had CFL experience, right? I, I wondered what Odell Willis going to the suspended list for the Argonauts meant. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're trying to keep him from, from counting, and, but are they bringing him back? Uh, man, just going through. Did Bo, oh, no, Bo Kelly is, is still good in BC, Marshall, so you're all right with that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, surpri- the two, two of the Saskatchewan guys were a surprise. Two were guys I didn't really notice, so that made uh, perfect sense to me. Um, but yeah, and this, this first round of cuts has just kind of been, yeah. just kind of passed by for me, but, uh, RIP, a Louis Cause I was very proud. I knew how to say his name. Yeah. Um, I, I give I you hard at it and I was waiting to call it. I give you big props for being able to knock down the names like that. So seamlessly, because, uh, that is not a strength of this broadcaster. So I have, I have a lot of love for that, but, uh, being able to see the first round of cuts, I think people need to understand this, that it's a, it's a lot of the American guys being pitted against each other, which tends to because of the way that the rules are shaped in the first week of training camp, the first 10 days, they pit a lot of the Americans that are the fringe guys against each other. They try to get direct comparison. I saw a lot of quotes at Ottawa of them saying, we don't want to be early evaluators. We don't want to jump to conclusions. Well, guess what? You got 10 days and then you have to make some cut downs and you have to make some decisions. So uh, when I saw that uh, you were having these American guys go, it's like, okay, that's, that's understandable because the non-counters are going to stay. They're going to give you the numbers and the bodies in camp to continue to get your work done. But then you start to wonder, okay, but why are there a couple of Carlton Ravens offensive linemen that are getting released in Quabina Asari and Daniel Amara? Right. And you're and you're like, okay, well, so they didn't really work out. And to be honest, in the CFL draft, I wasn't super high on either of those guys. I mean, they have raw, natural size, movement skills, a little bit questionable, all the rest. But and you start to think, okay, well, those rosters probably could use the depth of those national guys, but they are not draft picks of the last two years. They're not non-counters. Like they're, they're up for grabs just like anybody else at this point. So, but for them, you know, whenever you go through the press release, I always look, okay, Americans, is there any big names? No, not a lot of guys that I know, not a lot that anybody else knows. Okay. Next thing I go is Canadians. And because I've scouted the Canadian draft since 2017, pretty closely, even if it's a fringe name, I have a guttural reaction to it because I spent enough time either looking at them or watching them at combines the rest. So, uh, and the one for me that jumped out that I thought was interesting was Noah Robinson, the linebacker from Missouri that I believe was a third round draft pick of uh, BC back when Ed Hervey was running the show in BC. And that release to me just screamed Ben Hladek has already replaced a Canadian linebacker. Like, and we've talked about Ben Hladek on this show, but to me, because Noah Robinson at Missouri was not an every down line. He was not, uh, you know, some talented guy that was going to take over in games uh, playing defense. He was a special teamer, but he was a special teamer DT in a really, really weak linebacker draft. I remember that year coming out. I forget the other names that were in it, but in that year's draft class, 
it was not a strong linebacker draft. And I remember everyone kind of, you know, I see this guy coming in from Missouri and I go, man, I, I wonder he's got to put up some pretty good numbers, I would imagine. And his testing was not good. And again, I'm not going to bang a guy for only his testing, but I'm putting the equation together as you're going into the draft. And you're saying, if he's supposed to be a special teamer, usually those guys are kind of athletic freaks. Well, he's not an athletic freak from everything that I've seen. Yeah. And, and now his draft stock goes down. He gets taken by the Lions. He plays a couple of years. I mean, I just, I felt like as soon as I saw a national linebacker getting released, I'm like, that's just another spot for Laddick. Like he's already moving up the depth chart. Which I, I think we're both in favor of, because as I predicted, uh, he is going to explode somebody on special teams. Like a player, <laughs> his body will just explode. Yes. Head pop off, roll down the way. Legs are going to go just flying like that, that foreign kicker in the Simpsons when they went back to college or whatever. Like, yeah, it's, it's, he's going to, he's going to crush somebody. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. So uh, that's, and those are the neat ones to watch, right? Because as, as I just look at the list, it is all Americans except for the, the guys you mentioned. So yeah, any Canadian on his way out is, yeah. Here's one that I wanted to actually ask you about, because I, I thought that this was an interesting name based on the expectation that I had probably unfairly placed on him in his time in Toronto. When the Edmonton Elks released Rodney Smith, uh, what did you think of that? Because right. I, yeah. I remember him being in, in free agency, and I was looking at the grand scheme of things. And you had your top end names, your Brandon Banks, and your Brian Burnham's, and, and then I'm looking further down. I'm like, okay, where's the value? in this free agent class, like who's actually going to improve their team? Who's going to get the best number two or the best number three. And I thought Ronnie Smith yeah. was, was probably in that conversation. Cause I thought he had a, he, I thought he had a lot of upside. I thought he had a lot of growth possible, but then you also crunch the numbers at Edmonton and you're like, well, how the hell are you going to get him the ball when it's James Wilder jr. And Greg Ellingson and Darrell Walker and uh, Armonte Edwards. It's like, regardless of whether or not he has that upside and that potential that I thought I saw from him in Toronto, it felt like he was going to end up with 12 catches maximum on the year because they're not going to throw him more than 20 balls on the season. Well, and if he makes a nickel over the minimum salary, yeah, you, you got to go, right? Because once Darrell is now able to, he's finished his quarantine, he's been able to go practice, he's the X receiver, and that's the end of the story, right? That's just it. You're, you have Kenny Stafford there. I believe Kenny Shaw is still there. Uh, you mentioned Armonte, Greg Ellingson. They do not lack... American talent. And so, yeah, he, he's a guy. And then man, American receivers are unfortunately expendable in this league. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's hard to watch sometimes, but I think of the year Kenny Stafford had in 2019 and Kenny Stafford is good, Yeah, but he gets traded from Edmonton to Saskatchewan for Christian Jones. And it's like, okay, Kenny, you're the 46th man for the rest of the season. And you're going to get this close to playing in the playoffs because Shaq is a bad toe. Oh, no, he actually turned out and responded pretty well to the painkiller. So, Kenny, you will never play a snap for the Riders, even though you're this close to it. And Kenny Stafford is a legit deep threat in the CFL. He's done it in Edmonton. That guy can play. Yeah. And he can barely get a – he can't get on the field in, the, in 2019 once he left uh Edmonton it's hard on American receivers you got to be good and if you were Greg Ellingson good you're not giving up your job I'm gonna no. play you for eight years minimum let's go <laughs> I gotta wait come on that's a hard one 
Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's such a tough way to make a living in that spot and and being a fringe guy and wanting to get out there on the field. But um, yeah, I, the last thing I want to ask you about here before we wrap is um, what do you think is, is the plan in Saskatchewan at middle linebacker? Cause I know that we talked about a there and I think a lot of people, the shock of the four Achilles injuries was kind of overwhelming. And then the story faded because there was so much other news spinning around, but the reality remains in Saskatchewan. That's a really good football team. And I'm not saying that because DT's on and DT's not saying it because he's DT. We're saying this because we watch a lot of football and we understand what they have in front of them here with this group. And I think, you know, Saskatchewan's not exactly a runaway number one, going to blow up people in the West, but it's a very talented roster that obviously would have been much better off with Larry Dean. But what can they possibly do to make the loss of Larry Dean not feel as bad based on what you're seeing at camp? Dion Lacey. Um, it's it's interesting to hear the way they talk about Dion Lacey because he was he was the will linebacker in Edmonton, went to the NFL, and now he's back in in the CFL. They talk about him as well. He could be the Mike, eh, maybe some will, or he could be a situational defensive end. We could bring him down. He could play defensive end. They kind of gloss over the weak side linebacker spot. So if they're saying something about Lacey's current uh, skill set or, or what it is, I am not 100% sure. My guess is Lacey's the man in the middle, and they're going to figure out the weak side linebacker. It's been a lot of Micah Tights, the kid from University of Calgary, who's been yep. with the Ryder for a few years. Uh, but honestly, if we are fast forwarding to August 6th, uh, I would wager the linebacking core is uh, Dion Lacey in the middle, Demarcus Gates at the at the weak side linebacker, an American guy who's who's new, and AJ Hendy is currently the Sam linebacker. I just think they have the option with the way the ratio is playing out for them to be three Americans across the linebacking core. And I just think that's that's going to be the way. And they'll have tights and they'll have the Herdman Reeds, however many survived cut the final cutdowns. Um, Kevin Francis there for special teams. That's it. That's a huge body. Uh, yeah, I, I think Lacey is, is going to be the man in the middle. I think that's just the best the best and probably the easiest way to go, except we're about to get a look at Gary Johnson Jr. I'm just putting this name on, on the radar, and if it turns out to be something uh, cool, and if it doesn't, people can forget. What are we? Oh, there we go. The camera's up. Uh, Gary Johnson Jr., when you see his NFL draft profile, it was uh, a lot like uh, I read it and I'm like, hmm, this sounds like Solomon Elamimian yeah. who happened to play for the Riders. And so now that Gary is able to start in camp as of Wednesday, I'm curious to see if he's the one that then takes Mike and, you know, there's no reason to think that the, well, no reason that I can think of that Lacey can't be the will. Yeah. So Lacey, Gary Johnson, DeMarcus Gates are the three names I'm watching for the two linebacker spots. I am uh, correct in throwing up the U for Gary, right? I did have that correct because I believe that I saw that he was a former University of Miami star linebacker from from some report that was out there. But uh, I uh, I have great respect. Oh, I, got a, I, got a, I thought it was Texas. Oh, is it? Maybe I have the wrong guy. UT, the, baby. Oh, uh, who, who was the guy from the University of Miami that they signed? UT. I just I threw up the U for the wrong person. Way to go! Yeah, we can't do horns down. By the way, did you hear about that? The Big 12 has outlawed no. horn, the the Big 12 outlawed horns down from Oklahoma players. You're not allowed to do it to other players at the University of Texas because it'll be unsportsmanlike. But apparently, you're allowed to do it to the stands. Which how that works, I'm not quite sure because North Carolina, the Tar Heels, they do the same thing to the U. They do the U upside down. So now the ACC needs to step in because there has been precedent set there, Taylor. 
<laughs> why, why do we give? Why do officials in any sport give a, a flip about any of this? As long, anything short of teabagging should be just fine in in men's sports. You want to lip a guy off? Cool. If you dunk on a dude, boom! You score a touchdown over a DB. You should get at least twelve free seconds to go tell him how bad he is at his chosen lifestyle, and he should get another job. I just, uh, I think that would just liven things up. You want revenue streams? Let guys. Uh, I'll pay you fifty bucks if you let me tell Shaq Evans what he says to the first defensive back he burns for a touchdown. Boom, revenue. <laughs> uh, I would love. I'm so tempted to just name this podcast the Breakdown Dash teabagging allowance uh because that feels like that <laughs> get, get some unnecessary clicks to people go what the hell did they talk about this week before before we go um as we've been covering rider camp for 10 days the the feeling has just gotten worse mm. of uh cyrus kwanjo retires taron vaughn the tackle shoulder might be worse than than expected oh my goodness what's happening with the offensive line What's happening with the defensive line and the linebackers? And, oh, my gosh. As you see the Riders right now, mm-hmm. one of the over-under totals for the Riders for wins in the 14-game season is eight and a half. Do you have a firm feeling either way on over-under eight and a half wins? A firm no, uh, because I think the West is so competitive, and I really don't know which direction it's going to end up going. I think very highly of Edmonton. Um, just because I think that yes. with, El- with Elizondo there, they can play with anybody with those skill position guys. And they seem like they've stayed relatively healthy outside of some of the offensive line. But they've also got like uh, Thomas Jack Cordilla that was drafted by them. They've got Matthew Betts and Kwaku Boateng giving them ratio depth flying off the edge. Like they've they've got some really nice parts, I think, on that team that when you add them up, you go, I think they're going to like if, if you were giving me eight and a half for Edmonton or Saskatchewan confidence level and who has more, I would say Edmonton. Um, if you were Agreed. saying the same thing with Calgary, I'd say Saskatchewan, right? Like I would take at this point for me, the great question marks are BC and Winnipeg, because I don't know what they're going to look like because it's, there's just, there's turnover in coaching staffs. There's turnover in, in some important parts, obviously with Winnipeg and their offensive skill position players that are going to be a little bit different and how much can Andrew Harris continue to be Andrew Harris and all the rest. So I know it's a long winded, big picture kind of answer to that, but yeah, I, I think Saskatchewan is very well planted to take a run at nine, 10 wins. But I also think they could end up at six, get into the playoffs and be as competitive as anybody. Like it's, it's one of those years where there's somewhere for me between, I don't want to say six, six feels low. I would say there's somewhere between seven and 10. Uh, and it's again, I think at the end of the year, you're going to have three, maybe four teams from the West that are going to be between seven and 10. And it's going to come down to, uh, head-to-head and point spreads and crossovers and all that kind of stuff. It's interesting because the current tone, not within the team, but around the team, observers of the team, is more like six as opposed to ten. It's just mm. there's – and perhaps it's because we're seeing too much of it and we're able to dance, you know, po- poke at it for two hours a day, but the current feeling is, oh, there's some real, real flaws here, unfortunately, and it could be quite – a long season certainly hope that's not the case because as we see every other team save for Edmonton is now oh it could be a long season if Darvin Adams isn't there could be a long season in Winnipeg uh if Calgary doesn't get better players a uh, Calgary does not look great long season BC long season I I wonder if uh 
Yeah, I, I wonder if we're going to, when we're used to a super powered West, I wonder if we end up with a equally mediocre teams West division mm. apart from the Elks. Because I, just for comparison, the Elks over under is five and, <laughs> and betters have hammered that to the point where it's just unbettable now. Someone thought it was a good idea to set that line at five wins. I think Edmonton's a 10 win football team. If, that's, that one's over by October 1st. If we were doing wins above replacement uh, as a baseball stat and giving that to people in the Canadian Football League, Greg Ellingson and Trevor Harris are worth five wins themselves. <laughs> so, yeah, like Man. you could you could dress up the rest of the team in, uh, you know, the uh, peewee football uniforms. And I think Trevor Harris, and Greg Ellingson would score enough points in five games to be able to get you up there. And then you had in Darrell Walker and the offensive line evolving and all the rest. So, yeah, they uh, they look like they're going to be in a a pretty good spot. And as you listen to us today, my friends, we are just 15 days away from getting to kick off between Hamilton and Winnipeg. And of course, it's going to be a fast and furious weekend. It's going to be a game on Friday as well. And then a doubleheader on Saturday of that opening week, which you can listen to Derek Taylor on 620 CKRM. Call the action for the Riders against the BC Lions. Very excited for that. To get yourself ready for the CFL season, use that promo code on sawdustcitybeer.com. CFL gets you the free shipping on the orders over $100, of course, in Ontario, legal drinking age. And if you're going back and playing some football soon or you want some whistles, maybe going out on the water for your boating in the summer. What the hell? Why not? Get a whistle for yourself. Uh, you get your aquatic stuff from fox40shop.com. CFP15 at checkout is how you can do that as well. We will be back next week with another edition of The Breakdown for you here as we continue to bounce around the headlines of the Canadian Football League. When we talk next week, we will be just oh, about two days away from final cutdowns as we head into the start of the season. And the show after that, smack in the middle of week one, oh. uh, that, <laughs> which uh, being able to say week one, it feels very, very good. So uh, we're looking forward to bringing that to you. DT, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, brother.